back to my podcast. For the next hour or so, you will hear me chat turds with a guest. And in doing so, hopefully realise that shit literally happens to us all. And talking of shit, my hair has fallen out. It's a side effect from the chemotherapy that I'm now on. And um, it's a very common side effect, but I was secretly hoping it wouldn't happen. But it has happened and I've got a naked head now. And I'm sad about it. I'm not going to try and move myself out of that feeling. Because I'm allowed to feel sad about that. And I'm going to have faith that I'm not always going to be feel sad about it. But right now I do. I'm just not okay with it right now. But I do have faith that I will get used to it again. Because this has happened before and I got used to it before. Anyway, it's not about me. <laughs> Today you get to hear my turd chat with someone called Tani Seagrave. She is a serious badass mountain biker who you may not have heard of unless you follow that sport and in which case you will have definitely gasped at her downhill racing skills. Um, in the intro bit you'll hear that uh, I say she's won three World Cups. Um, that is a lie, she's actually won eight. And because she's so modest, she waited until after the chat to message me and uh, tell me I was wrong. Because that's the kind of person she is. She didn't want to be that guy. Tani, please be that guy. Eight World Cups. Tell everyone. And I'm really sorry I got that wrong. So let's get on with the show. Not even sure if show is the right word. Let's get on with the turd chat. Um, And then please follow my podcast so you never miss a future episode. Okay, I'll see you on the flip side. Loads of love. Bye. Unless you're into downhill mountain biking or anything to do with that sport, you might not be aware of today's guest, Tani Seagrave, one of the best downhill mountain bike riders in the world. And she's 27. She's been riding since a kid and is highly respected and looked up to in the sport. I've known Tani for a few years, ever since she launched a fundraising campaign for Copperfield. And I also got to witness with my own eyeballs her hoon down a mountain in Fort William in 2015, uh, which is actually where she has won one or two World Cups in the past. In fact, she has won three World Cups in total and is really just very great as a human and uh, in the sport. And today she gets to discuss all things turds and glitter with yours truly. Welcome, Tani. Thank you very much. Blushing. <laughs> what an introduction that was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did miss out the fact that you played boob dodgeball for us at the Copper Box <laughs> in London as well. Yes. Which is probably the pinnacle of your <laughs> career. It was. I still talk to people about that, actually. So I, d- I do feel like we were living on another planet that night, like having all these celebrities through balls at each other and people <laughs> spectating oh yeah it was wild so you know i yeah i'm gonna let you introduce your turd what do you want to talk to, what do you want to talk about today um i think the most fitting turd would be my most recent one so i had a crash this april which was different to all my other crashes because i sustained a concussion which I didn't know much about really. I obviously knew that with what we do, they're quite common, but 
they're just not talking about very often. And yeah, it was um, really scary because it kind of hit me like a brick wall. I didn't know what to expect and it was very different to what I did expect. And it ended up um, taking me out for, well, seven months now. So, And I've only just started to, to feel like myself. So that's definitely a big turd recently. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Considering how much it has wiped you out, it is huge. And for someone who, you know, can't afford to take big chunks of time out of the sport mm-hmm. and out of competitions and out of races, what, where were you when the crash happened? What was the day? What was the event? Or was it just training? So I'd already done the first World Cup. Um, we ticked that off. And to be honest, I was struggling with chronic fatigue already and we couldn't find the cause that later came to light but it was just a a event in South Wales so it was um, meant to just be a load of pro riders riding another pro riders line that he had built with Red Bull so it was kind of like a jam and uh, yeah we were just kind of showing off basically to to people that came to watch and and celebrating this person's line but um yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know, I was still really tired. I'd had COVID um, not too long before and crashed onto my head. So um, that was it really after that. I showed sign of, signs of concussion, but I was fine for a few days and it was only, it was a delayed response really to, to the hit. Oh my God. Okay, so how did those, what, what happened next? Like what symptoms were you showing? Um, immediately after I crashed, I couldn't really see properly so it was super blurry and I felt really sick and I was quite confused but I knew where I was and I could remember everything that happened I knew my name I knew uh, my date of birth so to the medics I guess in a way it's not too concerning so yeah a friend of mine took me to the hospital actually so we made our own way there obviously there's a lot worse going on so we waited for quite a while but I think we got to like the eight hour mark and I was so tired and um everyone knows what it's like waiting in hospitals so mm-hmm. it did get to a point where I was like we'd just go back and they checked in on me like every couple of hours that evening just to make sure I was all good and then at what point did you think no this is actually this feels like a bigger thing than I thought like I said it came on a few days later so yeah. when I got home I was actually, I was getting better every day. And I think five days to a week after the crash, the standard protocol is to get out and do what you usually do. So, well, I just went for a small bike ride and felt great during the ride. I was like, sweet, this is fine. Like, I feel amazing. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be like, I don't know, four weeks max because that's how long you're meant to take off after a concussion. But we don't actually have those protocols in our sport. So we're not forced to do that which I think is something that definitely needs changing. But yeah, finished this ride and I was with a friend of mine and I just once, I don't know, I think after 10 minutes, my heart rate was super high, which was not normal. I could only explain it. It was kind of like I was having a panic attack. It felt really, I was seeing dizzy again. Oh, I I was dizzy and I was seeing blurry. Um, And yeah, and at that point, I kind of drove home and then after that I was in like a dark room for like five to seven days because I couldn't stand any light or noise or, or people talking. 
And obviously at that point, it's too hard to even think like something's going wrong. The the brain's just in such a, a high alert and red flag m- mode, I guess. There's no time to really think that it's going wrong because it is going wrong. So, yeah, we knew at that point that um, I guess that's just a, a normal. It's apparently, you know, the amount of times I've been told it's so normal, but at the time it feels anything but normal because it feels so out of your control and you just feel like a, an imposter in, in your own brain and body. Oh, so did you have to, um, what, yeah, was there any treatment for it? Well, that's another scary part is not really. There's not, as far as I was aware, there wasn't. So I went to, you know, I've got amazing support by my sponsors when it comes to injuries, but I can get I managed to see doctors really quickly. Very, very lucky to have that with the sport. But they they can't see what goes on in your head. So they, you know, they tested my eyes quickly and my reactions and everything was functioning fine. So that was a really confusing thing to hear at the time considering, I don't know, I just, I felt anything but fine. It was really, really, it's so hard to explain, but I've said it, before I felt like I was kind of drowning from the inside out and you could you you've got just enough space to breathe but like not quite enough and that's what it felt like for weeks and yeah the doctors kept saying I'd get better after a few weeks in time but I guess the time frame was just not what anyone really expected so yeah eventually I I just went around the globe pretty much searching for answers and I eventually found somewhere that um, yeah, took me under their care and gave me the responses and the care that I needed. I, I read that you were most surprised and something that you really didn't weren't aware of, hasn't been really been spoken about, but the impact of of that sort of your mental health and, and um, feeling that heightened anxiety that had come about with the concussion. Like had that ever come to the surface before? Um the crash had you struggled with anxiety before or and then and then did this just really elevate it how did that work yeah so like you mentioned in the beginning I've been racing my entire life pretty much Mm. so it's all I've ever known and I think it's a very comfortable bubble that we're in it's a life that really happy with it's 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 an easy life we get we we travel around the world we race our bikes uh, you know I've had a few few injuries the past few years but they're not major for for us anyway they're you know a dislocated ankle a, a done shoulder like they're normal things to get through as an athlete but um I recently had a couple of slip discs in my neck and I think they're just there, it's kind of like you don't really realize to what extent because we're so we're built to, to have an injury get back as soon as possible race as soon as possible and get the results as soon as possible and we do take time off but probably not enough compared mm. to non-athletes I guess because we're just constantly constantly pushing and I think this eventually with my neck and uh, the dispressing on the nerves and obviously it all being super close to the brain and the head and um, fatigue and all that, I did start to to yeah develop real bad anxiety like last year 
was the first time in my life that I'd ever experienced a panic attack. And then from there, I had a few more. And I think it's just, we were saying that that crash was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. But like, that was it for me, because there were so many things behind the scenes that just weren't really... I don't know what should have felt has always felt easy just training for my job just mm. was not it and I got so worried we, we went for blood tests and we couldn't really understand what was going on but I guess it was the first time I'd ever experienced anxiety and um I, I didn't know what it felt like before then and like how do you explain anxiety to your sponsors right so in I guess for so many years people want to know is she well enough to get on a bike like but physically can she physically ride a bike? Fine, get her down that hill. But has anyone ever asked, how are you feeling mentally? Can you get on the bike? Can you do this race? How do you feel about that? Was that ever, how's that ever, do you feel, what pressures are you under? Maybe these are the three questions. What pressures are you under to get on that bike and do the race, even if you're not feeling tip top? And has there ever been a question before these crashes, the one that, you know, instigated the initial panic attack and then this, you know, recent run? Yeah where someone has asked, are you mentally okay to get on that bike? I think I am in a very, very lucky position where my dad runs the team. Mm. So I think my health will always be put first. You know, I have a, a very understanding team and sponsors and we work really close with our sponsors to ensure that we've signed with the right people and they understand that... Um, yeah, we're humans. We're not, <laughs> we're not robots, and we're not billboards. And until now, it's been a really, really good. Well, it still is relationship, and I haven't felt a pressure to get back. But I know for a fact that ninety nine percent of athletes, or even other people, with you know, work duties, family duties, will feel that pressure to get back to where they were. And the problem is, is that the pressure didn't help the concussion itself and there's no pressure from around me like I said but I think deep down for me there's not a pressure but there was definitely if I felt like I wasn't doing what I've always been built to do or what all I've ever known so yeah it was just it's just been massive whirlwind and I think hopefully sharing it people will look at other athletes and younger athletes especially and not and you know take concussions more seriously and mental health more seriously because I get told so often oh you must be so mentally tough to do what you do I've been thinking about that a lot recently I don't think it's the fact that I'm any different mentally or I'm mentally tough I just think my mental state works for what I do but is that necessarily tough in inverted commas I'm not so sure because living with a mindset like that every day isn't the most enjoyable experience but it works for racing you know yeah yeah and I think I've had this massive empty space now of not working towards goals not working towards results not working yeah, towards gold medals and it's literally my health and it's it's been a completely different way of life for me even though from the outside it looks so minor, you know, it's just, it's hard to, to see. <laughs> I mean, I think we are becoming way more accepting of mental health, mental illnesses. But it, do, you, do you find like you have to shout about it even louder? Like you can't see a broken bone, but I have a broken head. I have a broken brain and this needs fixing. I can't just get back on the bike. Do you feel like that needs to be shouted about louder? Yeah. Um, 
I think it's also, I definitely think it, it's not, because before I experienced it, like I said, I wasn't really aware of that type of stuff. Like I've definitely always, um, you know, been very understanding of it, but not understanding to the fact where I'd experienced it. Yeah. Whereas now I've experienced it, I have a whole different level of empathy and sympathy and understanding for people that live with a mental illness every single day of their lives and to, to me it's mind-blowing people are so strong and I see myself I'm like oh my god like you know a, a race down a hill is easy like compared to what people go through every single day of their lives and I know I have a good platform and you know mountain biking is a gnarly sport and it's seen as a, an extreme sport and I think there's a lot more people that struggle mentally than um they set out to to show and believe so I feel like hopefully yeah by help by by sharing my story it does help but on the other side I feel like yeah it's not something that's completely visible and people won't always understand if they haven't experienced it or got someone close to them that goes through something like that so not everyone's gonna get it but I guess that's what we're trying to do (laughs) yeah um can we go back to some past crashes when you've had to get back on the bike how how do you get back on the bike after you've had a crash because I read somewhere that you have seen um like a sports psychologist in the past to help you get back on it um because and, yeah. and is there a time frame do you have to like within a certain time before you like really frightened you're so frightened about doing it or like how did you find yeah, I guess that you, process in the past? I guess you just trust the process because there's, you know, we're it's so normal for us to crash and get hurt. Yeah. Um, luckily, I had a good like ten year stint where I didn't really get hurt majorly at all, and then all of a sudden my luck ran out. I think and I just got one after the other, and the first one's all right. They give you a time frame. It's the first time you've been out of competition. So you've got something to get fired up for and you're like, yeah, I'm going to come back and I'm going to win. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to have that fairy tale end into my injury. And, you know, it might not happen that way. And, you know, you get slightly disappointed and then it happens again and you have to go through the process again and then again and then again. And it does get to a point where it does start to chip away a bit at your fear you know, your your motivation starts to slowly shrink and you start to ache. <laughs> your body isn't the same as it was pre-injuries. So, yeah. yeah, I've had my sports psychologist, I didn't get in the beginning for those injuries. I literally had him just for race purposes. But as I've grown older and had more injuries, that is definitely a forefront of why I work with people and I now have a new psychiatrist as well and I've worked with mental coaches during all this time because I feel like you you have different horses for courses and I feel like it's the same same thing with the brain it's there's so many there's so much stuff that goes on and yeah like you said earlier it's hard if you're not a happy racer you're not gonna you're not gonna be a fast racer I don't think so yeah I've had to kind of step back and in my day-to-day life look at what what needs help and like how can I help myself here to then go on and be better but yeah getting eventually getting on that bike it's all the pre-bit um 
So you've been off the bike since May? Is that when it was? Or yeah. yeah. I did say that you were on the bike the last few days, right? But obviously not racing and not doing anything silly, which is amazing and a bit awesome. But um, before you talk about that, what has the last few months entailed? Like, have you seen a clear plan? I mean, you've just said that you've had to find all these people around the world because Mm -hmm. it's not as known where to turn to, I suppose, when something like this happened and you were going to take it seriously. So you took it seriously you had to find the best people for it. So you have spent some time in Swiss, Switzerland, am I right? Yeah. And what, what has that been like? What have you learnt? <laughs> I've learnt too much for my little pea-sized brain to, <laughs> to hold. But um, no, I, you know, there, I've had so many people along my path to Switzerland as well that I need to mention and thank. Well, they know who they are. I've just stopped in different spots and I just think every step kind of led me to there so I definitely needed all that time off and seeing the people in between and I've had so many people that have had my back and eventually I saw a physio who noticed that I had tried riding my bike and I actually got a neck spasm like instantly after and that was that apparently is a sign that you know your your eyes aren't working properly on firing up properly with your brain and aren't doing their job properly so she said that because she works at Red Bull um she's a physio there and she said that she knows well she knows of the concussion center and she can put me in contact because she really thinks that there's probably it's been like three at the time it had been about three months three and a half four months she said if it hasn't got better on its own by now there's it's not going to get better on its own type thing Mm -hmm. so you're going to have to try and seek some help so she actually yeah pushed me to to go there and I did a couple of days testing and they brought up the issues and luckily I wasn't going completely insane because that's what it feels like when you're not yourself um and yeah there were some misfirings in between um the eyes and the brain and the balance organ and they said that they could help me get back to a normal way of life so obviously when they said that I was like I'm all in <laughs> like just say no more please I'm fully committed to it like this is that must have felt did you feel like every day something clicked back into place and you're like this makes sense to you yeah it was definitely it was definitely I was at the point where I was just like oh my god it feels so good to have something to look forward to again mm. because obviously my passion is riding my bike and I always look forward to riding my bike, but I couldn't do that. And to be honest, I didn't. I wasn't looking forward to riding my bike because all I could think of is this just feels like shit. Like every time I go on my bike, it doesn't feel great. So yeah, those feelings were very confusing. So to be somewhere where I could, I knew that I was getting better and um, I knew that it was helping just gave me a lot more motivation and to feel a a bit of spark again inside me was just you know something that I know it's not that long but in race world you know six months is huge for us so yeah it was um it it was I was very very happy but we were constantly on the limit on the threshold of where my symptoms were so I was exhausted the whole time but I mean Zurich is a very beautiful place so it was nice to pass out next to the lake there and soak in some some rays Oh yeah, I saw some of the photos. Absolutely stunning. 
what a place to recover and oh, it was incredible yeah and heal okay so the last couple of days you have managed to get on your bike just for like a little poodle with friends right yeah and how yeah. did that oh, feel I... did, did it feel less shit it, it did feel a lot less shit <laughs> yes um i i was very worried that because for a long time during that time i was like i never want to touch a bike again there's there's no really? point like i feel like because yeah. i i felt uh, i've never like it got so bad i didn't ever want to live like that so the feeling that i had was mm. like, i i can't live like this so to go from that and feeling like bikes like the hatred for them was impossible to contain I just had so much emotion to then you know yesterday being out pedaling my bike in the sun sunset and thinking and just having a smile on my face and think and getting out to unwind just felt so surreal to me and it was something that five months ago I I never thought I would have been doing because I was so ready to just you know hang the shoes up and be like this this is it that's my career done now I'm I'm not I'm not touching a bike ever again. So, yeah, it was very emotional. I had to give myself a little pat on the back. And, yeah, and um, yeah, it was just, I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, you've come a long way. What age do female riders tend to sort of retire from this sport? So I think your average would kind of be like mid-30s mm. for those that have a good backing behind them, you know, good sponsors and good and get a good wage we've actually recently um so someone that i used to compete against and heart with high rivalry was rachel atherton and she's recently given birth and i think it was last year and she made a comeback this year so i wasn't racing so i got to watch it all and it was actually incredible i don't think it's ever been done before and um I'm not sure. I think she must be mid thirties now. So, yeah. and she's planning on making a comeback. So, I have high hopes that, <laughs> that I still have a long career ahead of me. Oh, yeah. So she's definitely proving up the rules. Good for her. Very inspiring. But so have you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what you bring to the sport and what you're, you know, the image that you're in a way trying to change because it is a male-dominated world. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of people listening today will not have heard of many people uh, in the sport who are female. Unfortunately, that is still the case. Um, but what I love about you, and, I, you know, it's one of the reasons why co the Copperfield collaboration works so well, is uh, not shying away from femininity and, you know, being... Mm wearing all pink and doing that collaboration with Fox. So that, that was very pink and saying you can be girly <laughs> and you can be gnarly and you mm -hmm. can ride a bike. You can be all of these things. Nothing has, you don't have to fit into just one box. Where did that come from? Um, growing up with two brothers mainly yes. probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think sandwiched between them. No, I don't, I don't actually know because for a long time I remember hating pink, but I think, again, it must have just been embedded by my brothers and I got all my older brothers' hand-me-downs clothes-wise, so I was, a, I was a tomboy growing up and I think it got to the point where I just thought this isn't 
I actually don't really like this. I really like pink and I, I don't see it in the sport. And I think it was just at the time as well. I wanted to make a statement. I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to wear bright pink clothes um, because you, you just couldn't buy it because it almost got to a point where it had done like a whole 360 effect where there were a lot of women getting into the sport, but they didn't want the pink because it was too girly. And it was like, oh, well, we're not trying to be, you know, we're part of the boys, you know, we don't want to be mm. seen as, as girls trying to ride bikes. We, we are girls that are riding bikes and we are gnarly. And I think I got to a point where I'm like, but I am girly and I do like wearing makeup when I go out and I do like doing my hair. And it there wasn't really a space for that. It never felt like that anyway. Um, when I was growing up, I had to be part of the boys and, you know, I, I was one of the boys basically. So I just was hoping that, yeah, if I started to just wear more pink and be more have you know tighter fitting kits and look more feminine then girls would look at that and be like well that looks cool like that looks good like if I can look good riding bikes and sure I'll give it a go like (laughs) and it's been fun that's the main thing it's been really really fun to play with all these pinks and glitters and and bring it into my life you know merge the two lives has, has been has been fun um i would say a lot of little girls are looking up to you and going this can be me too this can be me um i read an article uh where you quoted a, a quote so this is you quoting something else but i really like that you brought this up there's a saying if you're good you're not pretty and i hadn't heard this before if you're good you're not pretty and if you're pretty you're not good it's just it's not that people you know they don't say it but yeah, I feel like you know, for a long time in sport, those were it was almost like an unwritten rule. It was ridiculous, and you know, um, I think for me, a really good example was a surfer. I think it was Alana Blanchard, but I might be wrong. But um, she was well, is stunning and a really good surfer, and got so much hate because she did, you know, quite nice photo shoots, she was very feminine, and then all of a sudden her, her, you know, surf skills would be taken away from her simply because she was a pretty girl, Um, and then, you know, vice versa, they would used to say in our sport, only butch ladies or bigger ladies or stronger ladies could possibly be good at our sport, and just makes no sense to me it just I guess they're they're just the type of barriers that we're trying to pull down but it's just something in this day and age to me is just like what (laughs) like it makes no sense yeah so yeah I'm only doing a tiny part a minuscule part but I hope that by doing this minuscule part it will help in some way no you are making a statement and I think you really are redefining what all these you know sports look like or or shouldn't look like there should be no stigma there should be no rules at all attached to them so let's focus on the glittery parts now to you know this whole thing you've you've already said that you've learned so much and you want you want to shine a light on a few things right you want to shine shine a light on on concussion and the lesser spoken symptoms right yeah so going forward what does that look like 
to be honest, it's is really hard because, mm. like I say, like a concussion is probably what is one of the scariest things for people to have in our sport. So I think that's why it's not spoken about, and people don't want to go onto Instagram and see how someone's had a brain injury plastered all over their feet and when they're about to go and ride. I get that. But at the same time, I think if you don't talk about it, it gets scarier. It gets, you know, you put it to the back of your mind. You, you just, and I feel like the more I can share my knowledge, what I've learned, the less scary it will be. It'd be like, hey, look, yeah, I have gone through a pretty shitty time, but look how I'm doing now. I'm fine. Like, you know, there have been people that have helped me. There have been people that have listened and have understood. So if, not that there will be, but if ever there is a time or someone you know that goes through that, you can look back and be like, well, actually, I know a person that went through something similar mm-hmm. and you're going to be okay. Yeah. That's all we, all everyone wants is to know that they're going to be okay. So if we can help spread that and, you know, but once I get back to racing, how does that look for me to try and help? At the minute, I'm not actually too sure, mm-hmm. honestly, but I will try to keep raising awareness for as long as I can and for as long as people listen listen to me and follow me but that's the thing also is you know I'm not racing as much and I have lost followers to me it's not it doesn't matter but it does kind of make me a bit sad that I don't know how to explain it but it's part of a journey and everyone will go through something at some point in their life that will feel like it shattered them yeah and the fact that you're sharing that with people I think is a real gift because And it will help other people to feel like they can share what they might be, the struggles that they're, you know, facing at the moment when it comes to their, you know, if it's a sporting career or whatever, and to not feel those pressures or to be, feel stigmatized by whatever impact has happened from a crash or whatever setback they've had. And I, and I think it, it's already huge. It's already huge what you've already done. So thank you. That. <laughs> it doesn't honestly it doesn't feel like much often, but I do I try and then I will get I will get people that, you know, have said that they've felt off or they haven't felt themselves for a couple of years and looking at my posts have made them realise that they had a crash a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and they never got checked out. And all of a sudden they have this huge relief because they think that it's explained or they're like, actually, I'm, I'm, and I'm going to go and see someone and it is curable. Or people that have suddenly developed depression after a crash a few years ago and it's not just because you're scared of getting on your bike. You know, it can be a lot deeper than that. And I think helping yeah, people realise that and understand that has, has definitely been a huge win for me and that has, has warmed my heart massively because, like I said earlier, it's not something that I would, wish upon anyone to to feel that way so if they do feel like that's there's a way out then that's amazing yeah and I you know I said earlier about um how sponsors might be a bit scared to like you know advertise that they're or or you know uh, see that their riders are taking away some time from the race and that you know whether it's obvious or not but feeling that pressure to get back on the bike but you have said, and I love this, is that it's actually an amazing opportunity for them to shine a light on this situation as well. Because, and it's totally right. It absolutely is right. Like, 
let's not just shine a light on all the shiny bits and the successes and the wins, but like what people actually go to through to get on those bikes, yeah. like literally every aspect of it should be celebrated yeah. and supported. Absolutely. It's actually last year. Um, so like I said, from my neck was where stemmed the, the anxiety and stuff yeah. because my eyes and brain were already overworking loads. Anyway, um, I went into my last race of the season and uh, my sponsor, my clothing sponsor, Fox, they were meant to be doing a um, a, like, a piece, a, a, a kind of like a documentary on, on that round and, and how it was meant to be amazing. And I got there and I just was not feeling it. I was so down. I was so exhausted. It was my worst season today. I didn't understand why, what, when, how. Like it just nothing made sense to me. And I was obviously they captured everything on camera and I was I kind of forgot about it and then they showed it to me a month later before it was meant to launch and I said to them I was like oh my god I'm not sure you can put this out it's, it's so I've got no there's no spark there's no nothing yeah. and yeah yeah they reassured me that that was what people wanted to wanted to see they they want to see that we're not we're not robots in the end it was really well received and like now that you've mentioned that as well it was actually really nice that the sponsors as well accepted that side of me and welcomed that side of me and wanted to to share that side as well because good they should yeah, like I say <laughs> we didn't win <laughs> but yeah yeah no, I'm so glad they convinced you of that and you're making a little film about the last few months as well aren't you yeah so we've um I'm actually this is another one I'm quite worried about because we have been so vulnerable on camera um we've had people follow us all year and obviously as you can tell this year hasn't been this been my worst yet so for a big film company to come in um well they're not a film they are a film company but we've all worked together but you know we our sponsors have invested a lot of money into this series and to know that their main rider has dropped out after one race because of a, a brain injury is not something that you'd expect after investing a lot of money. And you, I was, you know, at my fittest, my strongest going into this year. So we were set to have a really, really good year. But I think looking back, I think it's going to be really interesting. I think like, like you say, it's not something that people see all the time. And it's something people are worried about and scared of. So hopefully seeing, you know, a pro rider who has won World Cups and is hopefully going to come back and win more has gone through this and has showed the story. And, you know, there's my brother as well. He struggles. He, he didn't qualify at all this, this season. He's finally put an end to his um, World Cup career. So... You know, and he's going to try and do some free riding because that's what he's absolutely born to do, his tricks. and But, yeah, that hasn't been been the the easiest decision for him. So there's just all lots of things that, you know, we don't – people that will come and watch the races or follow the race and they just don't see because, well, we don't share it because we think it's just life. <laughs> I, I mean, personally, I love all that behind-the-scenes <laughs> 
like life stories oh you know i want to see when a human is being a human not not when they're on the stage yeah so i think lots of people will lots of tears <laughs> yeah yeah i would expect there to be <laughs> cool well uh is there anything else that you wanted to mention on the glittery side that we haven't already talked about i mean other than the facts that i feel like i've been reborn and <laughs> well had... okay this is huge <laughs> it's a massive <laughs> statement honey. thank you yeah yeah what like, what, what do you mean by that like I said before, it was, we were just in such a comfortable bubble. Nothing was ever really. Yeah, we're, we're so lucky and, and so privileged. And it's just, you know, there wasn't much hardship other than racing. It's, it's just something that I've always known. And I think having this happen to me put me in the most uncomfortable setting that I could ever imagine. Um, you know, I couldn't even go outside at one point without crying or or without feeling insanely overwhelmed and anxious um, I had to have cuddles from my mum every single day and I don't know just the slow life to relearn the slow life the small things the things that genuinely matter they're things that I never really had time to to appreciate or to enjoy because I was too busy searching for the next how I was going to be faster how I was going to be better how I was going to be the best it's just it's draining and like gold medals look amazing on the wall but apart from that our our journey was the whole reason why we started this and we've always said that we've always said it's about the process we've always said we learn more from losing but it's because we enjoy our process so much we gain Mm -hmm. memories we travel the world together we meet new people new friends and I think I just lost track of all of that I did become a sort of machine and a billboard and I just completely lost touch with who I was and why why I did it. Wow. It must be quite reassuring that you didn't get to the end of your career and to not have had that realisation all the way along. And I mean, yeah. I often say this with cancer, like I don't recommend cancer, like it's not something I think everyone should go out and get. But had I not had it or, you know, if, if I wasn't still living with it, I'm not sure that I would tune into certain aspects of life the way I do. And then yeah. what what if I get to the end of my life and wish I'd done this or if I, you know, I was look back at my attitude and went, and I'd really regretted stuff, then that would be such a crying shame. It's just, it's just terrifying and sometimes frustrating to know that it takes something as awful as crashing and getting concussion and going almost you know, losing yourself in that or cancer for us to realise that. But it shouldn't take those things, right? Okay, I want to move on to um, a lesson, a thing, you know, or uh, a piece of advice, something that you've learnt from glittering your turd. Advice, for for sure, it's simple, but slow down, I think. Just learn to enjoy the slow life but it's so relative to me because we've always been in the fast life it's all it's ever been about I think you have to learn your own way don't you but if someone had just said to me chill out (laughs) it would have been very beneficial for someone like me who has a an overactive brain to say the least so great advice really good advice and then an item it could be something physical or imagined um in the past people have said cups of tea 
or cake or their mums <laughs> that has helped you to glitter your turd? Well, I was thinking about this and there has not been any items at all. I felt very detached from everything. Mm. But yeah, the 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 one thing my mum was a huge anchor for me um in the beginning when I was not okay. Um so yeah, whenever I, I whenever I look back at where I was then, I just can't she was just there. And you know, the my so was my dad and, and my boyfriend and brother, but they were away racing and mum was here and she just it was like I was I was a baby again. It, I needed her so much and, and she was able to, to be there and she gave her all for me, so and you know, she didn't understand but she was still she couldn't have possibly understood what was going through my head but she still just chose to be there for me which yeah yeah, I'll forever be thankful for I do think there's a sort of sense in mums that makes them feel like it's non-negotiable and they do get it in some way (laughs) they have this sixth sense um great they're just super humans say the least yeah now we're going to listen to Amanda uh, tell us about how they glittered their turd. My glittering a turd is I discovered that my father had lung cancer as I was returning from a year being away, traveling the world. And during that stress, I uh, went on to develop ulcerative colitis. So I sp- have spent many years going through a lot of intensive, deep interpersonal work on myself. I now share all of that knowledge that I have gained in that journey and getting to the place where I am today, where I'm, I have a lovely business where I do complementary therapies called the art of healing. And I've always firmly believed, and I've been very fortunate to believe that you always have the option to see things from a positive perspective. And that's what kept me going is the knowledge and strength that there will be a brighter day ahead Uh, one day it won't be so painful and that helps me to move forward wow Um, yeah a really brilliant story do you know what I really like what she said is that we have an option to look at the positives of a situation there's like this you don't have to be forced to like no one's making you look at them, but then we have that option. And if we take it, it might be a really good thing. Like I really love that. No, I needed that actually. That was very powerful. Ah, yeah. Thank you, Amanda. Finally, if you have a drink nearby, otherwise it can be imaginary. Um, we're just gonna cheers. Wait, I have my cup of herbal tea. Okay, so let's cheers to your turd, my turd. Everybody's turd. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers to the turds. Well, I can't help but think that Tani's turd arrived at such a crucial point in her career when she can still use it to her advantage. I'm really looking forward to watching Tani get back on the bike with this brand new, fresh attitude to life and living. Uh, The documentary that we mentioned is called How We Roll and it's out this month. Um, Please go follow Tani on Instagram so you don't miss it. 
I'm really looking forward to watching that too. Thank you so much, Tani, for speaking to me. I know that would have sucked a lot of energy out of you. So I appreciate you and your time. Thanks also to Amanda for this week's turd story. And of course, a well-deserved pat on the back. And thank you to you for listening. Love, glitter, and all things good to you. And hopefully see you next time. <laughs>